trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh boy, are we ever going to revel in wrong thing today. And it's not so much that, because uh, I'm just really awesome at it. Yeah, I'm still pretty much a work in progress, but boy, there is so much going on that just needs to be challenged in terms of official narratives being blared at us 24-7 and just, you know, some uh, plain old-fashioned tomfoolery going on to keep us off balance and, and above all, to keep us from noticing what the truth is. And I know that sounds kind of sinister, maybe even a little conspiratorial. Well, who, who would want to keep us from the truth? Well, the answer quite simply is people who want to exercise dominion over you. And if you haven't been paying attention over the last three years, you have missed out on a grand opportunity to see that there are some people who simply lust for power over others. And there's, there's a great way to see this being played out, at least in the grander sense. And, you know, I, I, I have to offer this disclaimer. I'm not carrying water for Donald Trump, but what is being done to Donald Trump, his indictment and just the, the effort of the last seven years of people just trying to to tear this guy down and 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 bring him you know to to heal it's a pretty strong indication of of how the systems that want to rule us view an outsider who will not play by their rules and the reason it's such a threat to them is because if he could get away with not playing by their rules then presumably the rest of us would look and see and say well we don't have to play by their rules too now, you understand, I'm not talking about just, you know, hey, it's, you know, cats and dogs living together and every man for himself and we're all, you know, running around in chaos. It's more like what happened to our system? When did it become so perverted? In fact, there's a, there's a marvelous article from Sasha Stone. I am so grateful that I found her Substack. But uh, she, has, she has an article about, uh, sorry, Democrats, you're not the good guys anymore. Now, it's not just the Democrats. There are statist Republicans. It's politics in general and the people who have found their way to the top of the political food chain. They are the ones who really, they, they are the threat. They are the ones who are, are a greater threat to us than Putin. They're a greater threat than the Chinese Communist Party because they are pretending to be our friends, pretending, hey, we're here to represent you. We're here to make things better for you. But they're not. Here's how Sasha Stone puts it. She says, we don't go through the trouble of elections to have them systematically undermined because the administrative state and an elite ruling class don't like dealing with someone they can't control. Now, she's talking about Trump. We don't spend four years throwing everything at our elected leaders to see what sticks like they did to Trump. We don't send our Department of Justice to raid the home of a former president to find something. We don't punish our elected leaders just for the crime of winning. We don't indict them on ticky-tack procedural matters because the person now in the White House is too weak and too unpopular to win a second term in this country. It's supposed to be a fair contest between those who win the primary elections. And putting that heavy of a thumb on the scale is corruption on a level we've never seen, as she says, at least in her lifetime. So what's next? Is every outsider politician going to get the same treatment? Will they continue to pervert the justice system, weaponize the DOJ, and play partisan politics on the people's dime? Hmm. 
Well, her point is we all deserved much better than that, and it's long past time to rise and vote them out. I'll probably share some more excerpts from this column on tomorrow's show, and I'll have a link to it in the in the show notes, but I'm telling you, that is, that's some really good insight. And you have to understand, Sasha Stone is coming at this from the position of a person who a little over three years ago was a Democrat and was, you know, she, she was firmly convinced, look, we are the good guys. But as she watched the COVID response and as particularly as she watched this never ending quest, we've got to get Trump, we've got to get Trump, we've got to get Trump. She came to the realization, oh my gosh, we are not the good guys anymore. And that's a, that's got to be a painful thing to, to come to realize, but it also is the price of honesty. And there are issues on which you and I would have a similar painful whoa, moment where we realize, oh, if I continue this way, I'm not, I'm not one of the good guys. So, again, I'll come back to this probably in tomorrow's show. But I just I had to touch on this because right now the political left in this country is, is having what I've heard some refer to euphemistically as a Trumpgasm. And it's it's because we're sure they've got him. Why we're gonna see him arrested, we're gonna see his mug shot, we're gonna see him perp walked, hopefully. They're just giddy about it. And in, in the process of that that giddiness, that uh, that excitement, the mask has slipped. These are not people who are concerned about, look, we just want good governance and fairness. And no, these are people who think they have all the reins of power and they are going to use it to best effect. And, and you know, I don't know where it goes from here. All I know is uh, my consent is necessary for any legitimate government to, to be legitimate and to have governing authority over me. You have to earn my consent. If I don't give it, I know that there are those who will try to force it, like a squeegee man at an intersection in a, in a major city, They're washing your windshield. All right, you owe me 20 bucks. Come on, I washed your windshield. Yeah, government will pull out a gun, though, and kill you if you refuse to pay the 20 bucks. Well, actually, they'll send men with badges and guns to do the dirty work for them. What a time. What an amazing time to live in. And while the political left is celebrating its anticipated destruction of Donald Trump, it's good to remember that there is a bigger picture to keep in mind. So my point here, again, is not to, this is not to carry water for, for Donald Trump and, you know, to get everybody chanting in unison for more years. No, the emergency isn't over. And thank you to uh, Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute for the wonderful column that outlines the bigger emergency. The, the, Trump is a, a, the, the Trump saga is a symptom of it, but there's a much bigger problem. And here's how Jeffrey describes it. He says the U.S. House and Senate have voted by a supermajority for an early end to the national emergency that Donald Trump issued March 13th, 2020. Now, he issued this the same day that the Department of Health and Human Services declared in a classified document that the National Security Council would henceforth head, head the COVID response. So March 13th, 2020, Jeffrey Tucker says this day marked the beginning of a largely lawless regime at all levels of government, ruling with its own discretion rather than according to the Constitution, established court precedent or any principles at all. It was government by the whim of experts and their rule impacted every aspect of our lives. The COVID emergency has been formally ended, but the egregious habits of government that were unleashed that day 
continue even now, ensnaring even the former president himself, who was just indicted by a New York State Attorney General for reasons we still don't know. And Jeffrey Tucker says, for all the world, it looks purely political. Now, just as this indictment is the first ever of a former of former President Trump's executive order, let's try this again. Just as this indictment is a first ever of a former president, Trump's executive order was the first ever to be issued for an infectious disease. Its powers were uncertain in the midst of such an unfamiliar cover for the invocation of total power. And the edict applicable to the whole country issued on March 16th of 2020 said, quote, indoor and outdoor venues where people congregate should be closed. So, no more Bill of Rights, including the freedom of assembly and worship. Not even one reporter questioned this at the March 16th press conference, maybe because they were too confused. It's hard to know. But how long has it been? For how long? It was pure psyops, right? 15 days for starters, then it went on for three years in various iterations. And Jeffrey Tucker says, even now, unjabbed travelers cannot enter our shores unless they're given diplomatic clearance. One rule for the ruling elites, another for everybody else. And so it has been all this time. But was this enforceable? Did the president even possess this power? Well, he certainly believed he did, but it was never clear. The courts did nothing to stay such astonishing executive overreach. Instead, all states but South Dakota went along, some with enthusiasm, some out of trust, some out of sheer fear of what could happen under what felt like a situation of quasi-martial law. And how did South Dakota get away with this defiance? Was it only because it's not among the states that makes the news? Jeffrey Tucker's point here is the precise powers that are possible under such a declaration are still uncertain. All anyone knew is that some very powerful people at the top were demanding action that seemed very much in contradiction to the Bill of Rights. Who or what could stop that kind of overreach? Well, that was unclear. And did the people have to obey? Well, certainly the mass media was all in, whipping up a populist compliance movement that would, over the course of two years, denounce anyone who dared disagree as selfish in their desire to exercise their freedom. And plenty of people went to jail merely for exercising their civil rights. Now, I know there's still quite a movement here. Well, maybe we should just move on from this, but I don't want to sound vindictive, but no. That is such an egregious abuse of power. Until people are held accountable, we cannot move on. Maybe they know this, and this is why they're trying to consolidate that power as quickly as possible. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here for my sponsors who make this program possible on a day-to-day basis. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, Borelli.com, and TMCPNation.com. If you want to click on the links, you'll find them in my show notes. You'll also find a very uh, special separate section on my website, thebrianhydeshow.com, where you can uh, follow up with each one of these sponsors. So I'm sharing this article from Jeffrey Tucker about uh, the emergency that began three years ago is not over. Something to keep in mind here as we consider what's going on with Donald Trump and, you know, his indictment and all the the media, you know, hoo-ha that's going on this week. Back to Tucker's article, he says, 
Meanwhile, our social fabric was torn asunder again and again following the declaration of, you know, what was it, 15 days to slow the, the spread or whatever, until it was in tatters on the floor. And he says, over time, the whole of the public sector gradually stepped away from the insanity once it became clear that the mitigation efforts were achieving nothing remotely close to the promise. The vaccine had no public health benefit. Everyone got sick of COVID mania. The courts finally started closing in on the whole racket and the anger of regular people toward their lawmakers finally boiled to the surface. And so he poses the question, it's finally over, right? Or is it? Well, Dr. Robert Malone explains. A a national emergency declaration was issued by former President Donald Trump March 13, 2020, pursuant to Section 201 of the National Emergencies Act. A national emergency declaration is, in effect, unless terminated by the president or through a joint resolution of Congress or if the president does not issue a continuation notice annually. Such a notice was was issued by President Trump to continue the emergency beyond March 1st of 2021 and by President Biden to continue beyond March 1st, 2022. An announcement by the Biden administration on January 30th of 2023 says the administration plans to extend the national emergency to May 11th, 2023, and then end it on that date. But you realize, of course, the Biden administration opposed the legislative action. So both houses of Congress are overwhelmingly voting to end the emergency. The Biden administration says no. Can you imagine why? Yeah, they've, they've got their hands on the power. We can't give this up. Here's the explanation from National Review. Quote, with a supermajority of senators voting in the affirmative, the upper chamber of commerce ratified Congress, rather, ratified a February House vote that will put an end to the COVID-19 emergency orders implemented by Donald Trump in 2020. The White House insists that it's opposed to such legislation. It argues that Congress would get what it wants on May 11th when the 11th extension of the COVID public health emergency is set to expire. Nevertheless, when the bill reaches Biden's desk, administration officials have said the president will sign it. End quote. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says the action by Congress speeds up the timeline, but what this changes precisely is not clear. It will, uh, it will likely not affect the emergency youth use authorization for the vaccines or tests because cl- Congress very cleverly moved the authorizations of those to a different piece of legislation. Still, he says, it represents the formalization of a perceptual undertow of populist revolt, one that is truly bipartisan at this point. Now, he says, you can bet that every lawmaker is faced with constituents screaming about the school closures, the masking, the shut businesses and mask mandates, not to mention the forced jabs. The constituent base of these people was brutalized for three years. Plenty of political donors are asking questions. Lawmakers just are, are just tired of the whole thing. He says that all of this was based on fake science and terrible misapprehension of the true threat of the virus is very obvious, perhaps not from the mainstream press, but not that far away with a few mouse clicks. Anyone who has bumped into evening news running on Fox would have heard Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram interviewing various brownstone writers and scholars on this subject. It only takes a few search terms, rather, to introduce one to a new information universe in which one discovers that the whole of civilized life was shattered for no good reason, based on the posturing of a handful of government-funded bureaucrats who believed that they had more power than all the laws of the United States and the rights of people everywhere. 
And in so doing, they worked hand-in-glove with big tech and big media to create the appearance of unity. Beautiful explanation there, by the way. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, look, it's a scandal for the ages, but all the major power centers, media, academia, social media, and corporate America tried everything in their power to keep it all under wraps for the better part of three years. Congress did not have to act. They chose to act to wash this disaster out of their hair because they faced pressure from below. But even then, their actions were opposed by the Washington Post, of course. The vote was largely symbolic, the paper is written, but then adds several members of the White House COVID response team, including its COVID-19 response coordinator, Ashish Jha, are expected to leave the administration, according to sources. Yes, Jeffrey Tucker says, of course they will leave the administration, all in an effort to make accountability impossible. The people who did this to us at most levels of society have gradually vanished from public life or were pushed out. The journalists who championed the lockdowns have gone on to other things. The academics are busy deleting posts. By the way, he links to some evidence of that. The pundits are deleting their pro-lockdown tweets. The think tanks that were either complicit or silent and therefore also complicit have moved on to pretend nothing happened. The politicians just want to change the subject. There are They have precious few apologies and there are no admissions of wrongdoing. It's as if the whole of the ruling class wants everyone to forget the horror of the last three years. Meanwhile, the pandemic response of brutal suppression of human liberty is now in the process of being codified as normal in the annals of the World Health Organization, even as Bill Gates argues for a new international bureaucracy to do it all over again. It was too gainful, too delightful, too thrilling. And for all those who benefited from this, they're not going to pass up a chance to deploy it again. Jeffrey Tucker says, remarkably, even after all these years, it is not clear precisely what it is they were trying to achieve beyond the largest, fastest redistribution of wealth from the poor and middle class to the rich in history. They paid attention to no particulars of the virus itself, much less treatments, but instead focused entirely on some elusive goal having to do with forever flattening curves and imposing a new way of life with full anticipation that pharmaceutical companies would save the day, which they very clearly did not. Now, if we want true accountability, rather than a global ruling class effort to sweep it all under the rug, it has to come from somewhere, starting with a continued deep dive into all the players, motivations, delusions, and corruptions. Then we need to clear restrictions, not on people, but on states, among which to curb these national emergencies, among which rather to curb these national emergencies that signal to the population that they are nothing but serfs and the power holders their masters backed by the best science. The lawless government that went into overdrive three years ago, even if its roots extend far back in time, has finally ensnared the president who was manipulated into pulling the trigger. So yes, the lockdowns and this apparently political Trump indictment are connected. They're all signs of a loss of government restraint, taking us back before the days of the Magna Carta. The New York Times said, we should go medieval on the virus. They used the virus as the excuse, but now we find ourselves in a situation that does indeed feel pre-modern, like the year 1000, except ruled by a cartel of global elites. Trust is gone, and our liberties and rights, not to mention the American system of government and the reliability of rules, are in dramatic decline. Jeffrey Tucker says, given this, we have to do much more than pretend like nothing happened. 
What happened with this COVID regime was an imposed reversal of a thousand years of progress in human rights. And he says this cannot be allowed to stand, much less forgotten. Declaration or not, the real emergency is far from over. It's still with us and cries out for an end that can only come from truth-telling, some modicum of justice, and a dramatic turn toward enlightenment values. Barring that, he says, there is darkness ahead. I've really come to, to trust Jeffrey Tucker's voice on this. He was one of the first people right out of the chute to call out the lockdowns as dangerous and, and setting the stage for something far worse than a virus with a 99.7% survival rate. And he was right. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Now, if you've been a longtime listener of this show, you know I spend very little time on politics just because I think politics is designed, at least in our time, to bring out the very worst in us. And the very worst in us is basically tribes of people chanting in unison and, and basically wanting power so that they can use it against the other. In fact, that's, that's really the attitude that I see at just about every level of politics. From the local up to the state up to the federal, it's all about uh, I need to get control of the, the power so that I can force you to do what I want you to do. It's pretty sickening all things considered. But I'm going to spend a little more time today talking about uh, the political ramifications of what's going on, particularly uh, with this indictment of Donald Trump. And I have to offer this, this disclaimer again. I am not carrying water for Donald Trump. But I think that what we can learn from watching, watching what's being done to him is very instructive. Not so much about, well, finally that orange man is getting his, but it's, it's a matter of whatever happened to a government that actually represented the people? What happened to legitimate government? By the way, I got to tip my hat to uh, to Ruben. He is my Bo Snerdly and, and sends me the, the best articles. This is one from Tom Luongo from his Gold Goats and Guns blog. And Luongo's got a great take on stuff. Luongo says indicting Trump is the end of U.S. politics. He says, so the Democrats and their Davos uh, benefactors have finally done it. They finally found something they can indict President Donald Trump on. Apparently 34-somethings, which makes for great headlines. The usual suspects have been thrown their chum, both uh, TDS, that's Trump Derangement Syndrome, and Magatards. He says, the social media war is now in full swing, and frankly, it couldn't be more tiresome. A few get why this is so inane, but he says most are focused or being focused on the wrong thing, as always. Jonathan Turley has a good rundown of the questionable legality of this case. But again, while he's not wrong to focus on that and the shady politics, he also misses the larger implications of this indictment. This is a case so legally tenuous that even the federal government, famous for being able to convict a ham sandwich, wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Because indicting Trump for any of these petty things is nothing less than the end of politics and a declaration of civil war. Yeah. Got my attention, too. Davos, through the Democrats, have been running a culture war for decades to stamp out the past. It is quite Leninist, he says. Turley and others have focused on on this as well. 
And in fact, uh, Tom Luongo points out here that uh, while they've been focused, it's not just done to indict a president, especially something as irrelevant as paying hush money to Stormy Daniels. But he says, just not done is exactly the thing that's, that's being indicted here, not Trump. Trump is the fulcrum on which it all rests. This is the politics of envy being taken to its logical, ultimate conclusion. Racism, sexism, ageism, transphobia, LGBTQ, blah, 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 are all in the same political position. They're all about tearing down the old institutional order. And it's been going on for generations. Luongo says, you know, things like invading male spaces like Augusta National, forcing female reporters in, in locker rooms, endlessly arguing the wage gap between men and women. Of course, these same people can no longer even define women whose rights they fight for. Is the latest term people who menstruate or is that just so last week? He says, I thought I was supposed to still wear my mask in my electric car to fight for the rights of Ukrainian men to get pregnant while fighting for freedom from Putler. So forgive me if I'm a little confused. Luongo says, this is a perspective that reduces society to whatever we did before was wrong. Progress in the minds of religious Puritan progressives is a never-ending battle against sin. Yesterday is forever evil, while tomorrow holds the promise of heaven on earth. Now, he says, in the South, we just call these people Yankees and go back to eating our barbecue and playing with our kids. That sin is stratification as a result of rewarding merit. But what is merit to people who view all profit as exploitation? Well, Luongo says you can answer that however you wish. But by their actions, it's clear they believe merit is stealing. This is why phrases like, you didn't build that, or basket of deplorables, that anything you can earn, I'm sorry, anything you have earned can and should be taken from you for wrong think. At least that's what's at the heart of this Trump indictment. Trump is the distillation of everything they need to tear down to validate their envy. He's white, male, politically connected, a little corrupt, very cheesy, and the antithesis of what the middle-class bicoastal midwits believe they should be. Successful. They hate Trump not because he's successful, but because our society allowed for him to become successful. To the progressive midwit, any society that allows a man like Donald Trump to rise like he did needs to be destroyed. Is it really any different than the teenager who rebels to become an atheist because she, he, or Z finally ask, how can God allow such evil to exist in the world if he has the power to stop it? Did I mention these people have the epistemology of weevils? Again, in the South we say, some people just need killing. Well, to the Puritan mind, some societies just need killing. That's why Trump's indictment singles the, signals the end of politics as we believe it or at least as we believed it operated. The key word there was believed. We are dealing with people who see those who disagree with them as irredeemable. You voted for Trump twice? Burn in hell, you fascist! It's the only time most of these people want guns to exist. He says civilization rests on the fantasy that there is a shared acceptance of the rules on which it operates. Americans are both immensely cynical and naive about politics in this sense. We all know politicians are lying when their lips are moving, but we also believe in the myth that the American system of justice will get the right answer often enough to keep the lights on. Tom Luongo says today that's a very big assumption. Carl von Clausewitz is very famous for saying war is politics by other means. In fact, he's so famous for it that he's become part of speech. Clausewitzian. It's shorthand for this idea. 
Well, Luongo says, I've come to the conclusion that the greatest writers are the ones who achieve this, dare I say it, merit badge. So today, this indictment of Trump is at once Philip Dickian, Phil Dickian Kafkaesque, Clausewitzian, and Hitlerian. Wow. <laughs> it's Phil Dickian because it feels like we live in some alternate, alternate America. Kafkaesque because Trump is being indicted for a crime we can barely define. Hitlerian because it's clearly tyrannical to shut down political opponents. And Clausewitzian because the indictment isn't about politics, but rather about a much broader war. His point is, Davos is at war with humanity through the undermining of the institutions of civilization itself. They will not be stopped in their quest to secure global control over humanity. They've stoked an animus against Trump in the minds of people like Nancy Pelosi that can only end in fire and violence. They know the 2024 election is where all their dreams come together. They need another Davosian quizzling in the White House to counter what's happening with the Federal Reserve's hawkish policy. Davos has, has control over the political and monetary policies of Europe. It lost con political control over the UK and got it back and will reverse Brexit. That's brought the Bank of England back in line. However, it's very clear at this point they do not control the Fed. So they have political control until January 2025 in the US, but they do not have monetary control over the Fed until 2026 when Powell's second term is done. This is the window for U.S. patriots to win this civil war before it begins in earnest. Now, Powell's tight monetary policy will be the Democrats' main talking point for 2024. The GOP and the Fed are the reason you're broke. They cost you your job, the dream of a new house. We need more free money to help the poor. Do you think you're sick of Elizabeth Warren? Oh, just wait. He says, I have to hand it to these guys. They've turned the libertarians into their biggest water carriers by turning end the Fed into a strategic asset on the battlefield. With neither monetary nor, nor political control over the U.S., there can be no 21st century version of VE Day. It's bad enough that the global South has rebelled. Davos knows this is it for them. <clears throat> 2024 in the U.S. or bust. In fact, George Soros said as much at Munich this year. This is why Trump needs to be indicted, even though the case is legally illiterate. Look, the conservative commentators who think that indicting Trump will only improve his chances of winning the election are wrong. It doesn't matter that he can run for office from jail. Do you think a GOP run by cocaine Mitch McConnell will have the gonads to defy their uniparty paymasters and nominate Donald Trump from prison? This is the answer most people won't want to hear, but Trump will not be allowed to run. Bragg will most likely, uh, this is according to Martin Armstrong, who has come close to truth of the real strategy here, which is Bragg, the DA, will most likely seek an, a gag order in addition to a denial of bail, which no matter how ruthless the judge will probably realize he cannot deny bail even to a former president. Still, they'll most likely put a gag order on Trump. That way they can throw him in jail indefinitely, as they did to, to uh, Martin Armstrong, using civil contempt of court, which is not a crime. If they charge him with civil contempt, then he gets a trial by jury. If, but under civil contempt, you have zero rights and therefore no right to trial. That'll be interesting to see. Luongo says, if this was coming from anybody other than Armstrong, I would dismiss it out of hand. But maybe we should take it serious. He says, after everything you've seen them do over COVID-19, what makes you think they wouldn't relish the opportunity to put a gag order on Trump? This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I just want to give a couple more thoughts here from this Tom Luongo column. Wow. I'm telling you, this is stuff, you're not going to get this through any mainstream sources. You will have to look actually long and hard to find it even through many conservative sources. But this is, uh, this is pretty interesting stuff about uh, how indicting Trump is the end of U.S. politics. And again, it goes far beyond Donald Trump. This is not just about, uh, you know, well, they're finally going to get that orange man, that horrible racist rapist and so forth. No, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, all the way on this one. It's, it's interesting. Luongo says, 18 months ago, I was thankful for, the, for all of the Davos insane overreactions, the pathetic narratives, the unsustainable lies. And he says, well, I don't believe the Davos crowd is redeemable. I still hold out hope that there are enough of us in the right positions who are to just say no when the time comes. But with each loss on the battlefield of public opinion and in the policy room, the Davos folks have doubled down rather than backed down. Theirs is the way of the psychopath rather than the warrior. Now, he says the fear of a second Trump term is real, not because Trump is so great, but because they can't control him. And he's got a chip on his shoulder the size of Florida's budget surplus. So he says, Martin Armstrong's right. They will play this all the way out. They have no other choice if they want to win this war they've started to validate their view of themselves as gods among mere men. So regardless of the outcome of Trump's legal troubles, the real victory will be having destroyed what's left of what was a truly beautiful government that was subservient to the people. This is what we have to focus on preserving as their acolytes burn the libraries and erase the memory of our sins that they can't bear to face like adults. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, well-delivered spanking. And not a moment too soon. Okay. A couple other things that I want to share with you. I've got three articles for your consideration in today's show notes. Uh, Jacob Hornberger, wonderful common sense solution where, where we have all this controversy over what's being taught in the government schools. Why are they teaching our kids, you know, all this uh, LGBTQ stuff? Why are they teaching them critical race theory? Jacob Hornberger says, look, here's a, here's a really effective solution. Separate school and state. And he makes the case for why separating school and state really is the best thing that could possibly happen in terms of, of educating our young. Because right now they are being indoctrinated in an institution that has largely been captured by the political left. And in many cases, you know, depending on what district you're in, you know, has, has found its way into teaching Marxism. In some cases, Maoism. Crazy stuff. But here we go. Following up that article, you might want to check out Kerry McDonald's. This is from actually about six years ago. What comes next for educating our children? Kerry McDonald says, schooling was for the industrial era. Unschooling is the future. And she is one of the people who is leading out in this uh, effort. She's a remarkable voice. And, and boy, so much has happened in just the last six years. It's really worth checking out what she has to say about to where schooling is going. Oh, I'm also including a fun article from M.B. Matthews. You know, the inversion of reality always starts with language and, and perverting our language. And this article from M.B. Matthews on AmericanThinker.com, translating liberal speak. Now, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's also, it, it, it hits home. Case in point, let's see. Uh, Diversity is our strength, 
Here's what that means. When you run it through the translator, even though there is no evidence whatsoever that diversity is anybody's strength, let alone an entire country's strength, I will speak about diversity in glowing terms in order to promote preferential treatment for POC, people of color. By diversity, I actually mean special treatment for POC and the marginalization of white people. Ooh. How about this one? Uh, Critical race theory. White people are responsible for every evil on the planet, including hangnails and zits. The country was actually built by slaves. America is a deeply racist country, and we will spend our lives grifting off white people's collective guilt. If instilling guilt won't work, we will simply game the system for huge amounts of reparation using the threat of violence to get it. We've already set up several organizations to do just that. We know America isn't really systemically racial, or racist rather, But don't tell POC that. Otherwise, we might have to use legitimate legislative moves or, heaven forbid, we might have to work to amass funding and personal wealth. One last one here. Gun control. We don't really want to control guns unless we're the ones who control them. We want it to be illegal, punishable by death for Americans to own firearms for protection or hunting or for other reasons. We want the government under Marxist control to be able to confiscate all personally owned firearms for when we confiscate all personal wealth and private property. We can't do that if people can defend home and hearth with firearms. We vow to classify every murder as as avoidable if only guns had been illegal. We will always use the term assault weapons even to refer to pistols and bows and arrows. All right, you get, you get the picture. It's a fun exercise in how language is being perverted, and uh, you won't feel so fun at the end of it, but it's still a great article to check out. Last but not least, I know that uh, a lot of folks are still following the January 6th uh, trials. You know, in light of some of the evidence that has come out, the stuff that was so carefully kept hidden by the January 6th committee, I'm thinking specifically of some of the video that, uh, that Tucker Carlson showed. You notice how he has backed off of that? Kind of curious. Kind of makes you wonder, did, did somebody get to him or otherwise, you know, warn him? Don't be showing this stuff. But if you want to get a really good feel for what's going on, in the, you want to see just how bad the perversion of justice is in terms of the treatment of these January 6th defendants, this is what I would recommend. Start following Julie Kelly on amgreatness.com. It stands for American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Julie Kelly's latest article is uh, talking about one of the jurors in, uh, in one of the recent trials. Her name is Ellen. And uh, Ellen, you know, I'm just trying to think of a, of a quick, succinct way to point this out. Ellen was one of those people who worked for C-SPAN for 32 years and somehow found her way onto the jury But she spent her time on that jury trying to convince and actually successfully convincing holdout jurors who were saying, you know, this doesn't add up. The government's case here doesn't doesn't add up. And it's this this interview that she did with uh, I believe it was uh, with C-SPAN's founder, Brian Lamb. Holy cow, the things that she admits, she sees herself as a modern day Henry Fonda in 12 Angry Men. And as the, after the five-week trial ended, you know, as, as the jurors were, were to make their decision, Ellen was one of the people who took it upon herself with the help of a lawyer on the jury to persuade hesitant jurors to go ahead and find the defendants guilty. And it's a jaw-dropping peek. This interview is a, is a really mind-blowing peek into what she was thinking. 
because she is a stereotypical urban elite white woman, January 6th defendant's worst nightmare. In fact, Julie Kelly says, it's a fair bet there's a pink pussy hat safely tucked away in her nightstand drawer. Her voice dripped with condescension with a detectable East Coast accent. Alternating between giggling, crying, up-talking, preening, and taking dramatic pauses, Ellen makes her her listener pity her former seatmates. Why is this relevant? Because by keeping the the trials in Washington, D.C., and drawing from jury pools that contain people like Ellen, there is no way on earth that these defendants are getting fair trials. Look, I, I'll grant you, there were some people who I think misbehaved, but the prison sentences that are handing out... By the way, did you know the QAnon shaman, the guy with the buffalo hat and red, white, and blue paint that uh, had, had been uh, you know, sent to prison for, I don't know, what was he sent for, like four years? He's out. After the video was shown of him being led through the Capitol by several police officers, rather than him rampaging through the Capitol, you know, slaying people at every turn. Yeah. He's, he has been released. He's, he's in a halfway house or whatever. I, I think the Babylon Bee put it best. He was tagged and released back into the wild, the Buffalo Man. So, okay. But that narrative persists. Oh, it was a dangerous insurrection. No, it wasn't. It was a deadly insurrection. No, it wasn't. Except for the one death at the hands of Capitol Police, and that was Ashley Babbitt, who was unarmed. But the most crazy part, and and this is the part that I know people have speculated, myself included, is it possible that there were federal operatives at work, that there were undercover cops and agents provocateur? More and more video footage is coming forward that seems to indicate that's exactly what was going on. Meaning that a lot of well-meaning protesters showed up and these government-sponsored actors went in, breaking windows, forcing their way in, encouraging people to, to be violent, to fight with the police. By the way, the police initiated violence. If you haven't seen the videos, they exist. Yes, they do. And then a lot of poor schmucks who decided to follow on into the Capitol building and take a look around, charged with parading without a license and disrupting an official event. It's it's all so overblown. This is the Brian Hyde show.